Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Chapter 9. Finishing the Product Development Life Cycle Congratulations. You've successfully shipped your product. Everything's done, right? Well, you need to do three more things during this cycle party, self-assess the cycle, and create a recommendation for the next iteration. Let's look at these three in detail. Celebrate. It's really important for team and company morale to celebrate even small wins. For instance, you might celebrate fixing a difficult bug by getting cupcakes. Make sure to take dietary requirements like gluten or sugar-free into account. When you ship a major version of your product, you might take the core team out for a nice dinner. And when you ship something big, you might help organize a company-wide celebration. These celebrations provide a way for individual contributors to get recognized for their work. Product managers are often the most visible representatives for their products, even though they're not the ones designing it or doing the coding. It's important to give credit to the team for doing a great job, so that each person feels important and like a part of something bigger. It's also a great way to build respect between you and the team. One of the easiest ways to lose your team's respect is to take credit for the team's work. If you're organizing a company-wide celebration, as a PM, you'll likely give a quick speech. This is a great opportunity to recognize the core team, specific others who have gone above and beyond to help get the product launched, and any groups that contributed to it beyond the product's core team. It's also really nice to have positive feedback from internal people. What did the CEO think? And external people, press quotes, customer emails, to share. This feedback is extra validation that the team's work is being well-received. If a launch wasn't well-received, you should still recognize the effort that went into it, as you want the team to have a positive attitude when working on the next iteration of the product. Organizing small activities and celebrations while building the product can also be very helpful for team morale. When the team hits a key milestone, you might go on an outing to play mini-golf. It will likely fall to you to organize these celebrations, though your office manager or HR team can help with company-wide ones. Make sure to be cognizant of the importance of these celebrations, as it's easy to forget about them with all the other things on a product manager's plate. Assess how things went. Ultimately, what matters most to the company is what your customers think of the product and if you achieve your success metrics, but it's important to look at how you got to the release. If you alienated everyone or made the product extremely hard to build, the people on your team likely won't want to work on the next version and might even look for different jobs. Assessing how things went ensures that you gather feedback, letting people feel their concerns are heard, and think about how to do better in the next cycle. For some people, assessing how things went during the development cycle is very difficult, personally. 
This is when you explicitly put yourself out there and ask for feedback, and you will get feedback, both positive and negative. Discussion with your lead The first part of getting feedback is to see what your lead thought of your work. Was she happy with how you approached everything, or were there things she'd like you to try doing differently? Did she get positive feedback from other teams about you, or were other leads always complaining about you? It's very useful to schedule a one-on-one -on -one meeting with your lead, if you don't have regularly scheduled meetings, to check in and make sure everything is good. A way to start the conversation is by asking, Could you give me feedback on how you feel this cycle went? I want to make sure I'm doing the best job possible. After all, we all grow by working on our weak spots. Team Postmortem The other part of assessing how things went is to get the team's feedback, and an effective way to do this is with a postmortem meeting. There are a few different ways to run these meetings. We'll walk you through how to run one yourself with the core team. If you feel you had problems working with your team, you might ask someone else to run the postmortem so you can be absent from the room to make them feel comfortable speaking openly. Some companies have open-door postmortems where anyone in the company can drop in to hear about the process. You'll have to pick what feels most appropriate for your situation. Here's how we like to run postmortems. Find a time where the product's core team and the key stakeholders are available and schedule a meeting for an hour or so. You'll want to try to create a relaxed and open atmosphere, which can mean anything from booking the meeting room with the comfy chairs to providing food and alcoholic or non-alcoholic drinks for the team. It varies company to company. Just make sure you have a whiteboard or something to write on that everyone can see. Since this meeting is about feedback, all opinions are valid. Make sure you don't put value judgments on what people say especially if they give you negative feedback. Divide the whiteboard into two columns, things you did well and things you wish went more smoothly. Start by asking everyone to say what they think went well. After a bit, switch to the other list and ask for things people wish had gone better. Bounce back and forth between the lists until you feel everyone's been heard. Last, Take some time to discuss what you want to do differently and what you want to keep the same during the next cycle. You should write down the postmortem notes somewhere, like on the product's wiki page, including the key things you're committing to doing differently during the next cycle. Periodically refer back to this list to make sure you're alleviating as much of the process pain as you can while keeping the good things. Recommending what's next. After launch, it's time to start another iteration of the product development life cycle. However, there's a challenge. In an ideal world, you'd have useful data about how what you did during this iteration affected your success metrics and goals. Unfortunately, it usually takes time to gather enough useful data to see whether your changes worked. Your immediate next iteration will be driven by your product roadmap, Chapter 2, and other approaches we covered in Chapter 3. Then, after enough time has passed to gather useful data from this iteration, you'll put this product into one of three high-level buckets. Specifically, you'll recommend moving on to something else because this product or feature is good enough, iterating more on this product, or sunsetting the product. If you've achieved or surpassed your success metric goals, 
then your recommendation will likely be to move on to something else. Automatic crash reporting can be very helpful here for mobile and desktop apps, as you might uncover bugs affecting lots of customers that you want to fix before moving on, even if you hit your success metric goals. If you're not hitting your goals, then you need to dig deeper to think about where and how you want to iterate. Running simple A-B tests with tools like Optimizely is a great way to quickly see if you can make any small changes to help you achieve your goals. Sometimes, non-core product changes, like the wording on a website, can make a big difference. The marketing team will likely be running a lot of A-B tests on the marketing website to see what gets the most customers buying or using your product. Looking at what your customers think is also important. Maybe you hit your revenue goals by switching to a subscription payment model, but if your customers hate it and are looking for alternatives, your long-term success is in question. What's nice about releasing a product into the wild is that you'll see product reviews, social media posts, and support tickets about the new product. Look through these in addition to reviewing your metrics to see what customers think. We'd recommend rereading chapters 3 and 4, thinking about how to come up with your next opportunity hypothesis for an existing product feature that's not achieving its goals. Mover, for example, might find that customers love and use the chat feature, but the company still is not hitting its goals. By leveraging the advice in Chapter 3 around asking why, we might conclude we have a platform growth problem to address next. You might conclude that no reasonable amount of effort will make the product achieve your success metric goals. Or maybe your company's priorities have shifted, and this product just doesn't fit with the overall strategy anymore. Or, maybe a technological development has made something much better for your customers possible, but creating that something better will mean a completely different product and not an upgrade. In this case, your recommendation should be to end of life or sunset the product. Sunsetting a product simply means you'll stop doing active development on it, and customers should switch to something else. We won't go into this in depth, but you usually don't just suddenly stop selling a product. It's important to have a window where customer support is still available for the product, time where customer data is still available so that customers can retrieve it for online products, and ideally a migration path to help customers move to an alternative product. While it can be frustrating for loyal customers, sunsetting products isn't a bad thing, and companies do it all the time. The trick is just to make sure you have a reasonable plan in place. In March 2013, Google announced it was going to discontinue its Reader RSS feed aggregator because fewer and fewer people were using it and the company wanted to focus on other products. Google gave customers four months to retrieve and move their data, and they showed customers how to use Google Takeout to retrieve that data. In another example, Apple retired its professional photo management tool, Aperture, in mid-2014. The company provided an update to make sure Aperture worked on the upcoming version of OS X so that customers could continue to use it for at least another year. Apple also worked with its main competitor, Adobe, to ensure Adobe's professional photo management tool, Lightroom, had an import from Aperture command to help customers migrate their data. Ultimately, whatever your recommendation is, 
The final step of the product development life cycle feeds nicely into the first step we went over in Chapter 3, deciding what you should do next. The key difference is that you start by evaluating whether you're happy with what you just did, whether you need to work on it more, or whether you need to sunset the product so that you can focus on something else. And then you repeat, and repeat, and repeat. Chapter 9 Tip Our final tip comes from Carlos Gonzalez de Villambrosia, founder and CEO of Product School. He has dedicated his entire career to bridging the gap between education and employment in tech. Carlos was inspired to create Product School based on his own experience when he had to learn how to break into product management the hard way. As a good, agile PM and lean entrepreneur, Carlos focused on tackling that specific problem and built a very basic MVP to validate his solution. Product School started as a casual, recurring meeting between Carlos and seven aspiring product managers in Starbucks around the financial district in San Francisco. In those meetings, Carlos would share his experience and would even invite other PMs as guest speakers to share theirs. The reaction was so positive that Carlos rented a room in a co-working space, created the first version of the product management curriculum, taught the first 10 cohorts to refine every detail related to delighting his students, and make sure they were equipped with the right tools and knowledge to build products and get PM jobs. In just two years, Product School became the first tech business school in the world. It currently offers product management courses in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, and New York. All of its instructors are senior-level PMs at top companies, such as Google, Facebook, Snapchat, Airbnb, PayPal, American Express, and Netflix. This piece of advice comes from the data and experience gained from working with Product School's product management students every day. How to Break into Product Management I transitioned into product management from software engineering eight years ago, and I founded Product School to teach other aspiring product managers do the same. The main reason people make a career shift into product management is because they're interested in having more decision-making power on the product strategy of the company. I don't blame them. This is a big shift that will impact your long-term upside since you'll stop being a specialist in one part of the process to become a generalist in all the parts involved in the process by leveraging other people's talents. This approach will serve you well professionally and personally. Throughout my career, I have met dozens of current product managers and entrepreneurs and investors who worked as product managers in the past. They all shared the exact same problem about how they didn't have proper training when they started their management careers in tech. Yes, it's true that a lot of them earned MBAs or similar business-related degrees at top universities that provided different skill sets and access to networks that helped in the long term. But these business degrees aren't always applicable to product management, nor do they teach you how to be a product manager. In fact, most of today's product managers, whether they have MBAs or computer science degrees, had to learn their craft on the go because there wasn't any product management school that had a holistic view, incorporating business, engineering, and design. Fortunately, product school fills that gap.
Here are some examples of different career paths to break into product management. Keep in mind that this list isn't complete. Engineer to Senior Engineer to Technical Project or Program Manager or Engineering Manager to Product Manager. Startup Founder to Product Manager. Management Consultant, Investment Banker to Product Manager. Customer Support to Business Analyst or Project Manager or Program Manager to Product Manager. Marketing to Product Marketing to Product Manager. Design to Product Design to Product Manager. The one thing all of these career paths have in common is that PMs don't start as PMs. They spend at least a few years in a different role, develop a few key skills, and then transition into product. The three critical skills I think you have to develop in order to get a job as a product manager are technical expertise, domain expertise, and communication expertise. Let's look at these three. As you've learned from the previous chapters, even if you don't know how to code, it's critical for product managers to understand some of the engineering behind the products they're managing. This knowledge will help you communicate with designers and engineers, assess technical feasibility, and understand what the technical side of implementing a project. Next, especially for your first product management job, it's important to understand the domain you're working within. As we discussed in Chapter 1, We've found that when you get your first PM job, if you know about the field you're working in, you will be able to spend your time focusing on how to be a product manager rather than learning the nuances, challenges, competitive landscape, and more of your domain. Finally, something we don't cover in detail in this book is how critical great communication skills are to PMs. PMs have to communicate all the time, whether via email or presentation. In our product school boot camps, we spend multiple hours teaching students how to be great public speakers with plenty of practice. If you can't communicate, it doesn't matter how great of a PM you are, because no one can understand you. Beyond product school, there are a few specific things that will help you transition into product management. Build something. In class, our students work towards a final capstone project where they pick a company they'd be qualified to work at, determine what feature that company should build next, and create a presentation explaining why the company should build it next and the key requirements. Try doing this on your own. If you know how to code, take a project from start to finish so that you can experience shipping a product and getting feedback from customers. Attend hackathons. Check out product hackathons such as ProtoHack or Startup Weekend to get hands-on experience building a product in high-pressure environments. Find a mentor. Reach out to PMs you respect and who you feel could be good mentors to you. Product School has an active Slack community, Product-School, which is a great place to find a mentor. A mentor can provide war stories and help you understand best practices. Network Check out product events in your city. Websites like Meetup and Eventbrite often feature events. These events can be a great place to find a mentor, too. Read 
The Further Reading List at the back of this book has great resources to help you learn more about being a PM. We'd highly recommend you check out Cracking the PM Interview by Gail Lockman McDowell or Decode and Conquer by Lewis C. Lynn to understand what PM interviews involve. Apply to Associate Product Manager APM programs. Some big tech companies such as Google, Yahoo, and Facebook have entry-level APM roles for new college graduates where they teach you how to be a PM on the job. You might qualify to apply. One of the most common mistakes in landing your first PM job is setting your expectations too high, either in terms of your title or your company. Just because you are a senior software engineer now does not mean your first PM job will be as a senior product manager. Similarly, your current company might not be your dream company, but if there's an opening for a PM, you likely have a better chance landing that as your first PM job than getting a job elsewhere. Be realistic. Assess your current expertise and map out realistic career paths inside or outside your current company. Your ideal PM job will likely not be your first PM job, but that's okay. As long as your first PM job is relevant to your career goals and you're surrounded by more senior people that you learn from, it will still be a great job. Now, go build awesome products. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.